Welcome to another episode of Drift Off, the podcast that brings you sleepy bedtime stories every Tuesday to help you relax, unwind, and drift off to dreamland. I'm your host, Joanne, and it is an honor helping you get restful sleep. Life can be so busy and stressful, and we all need an oasis where stress can just melt away. Drift Off can be your oasis, a soothing escape that can help you relax and unwind as soon as you press play. Let's face it, who wants to listen to ads or sponsored announcements when all we want is to relax? Subscribing to Drift Off not only keeps the show ad-free, but it also unlocks bonus bedtime stories, gives you early access so you listen first before episodes go live, and much more. At Drift Off, my aim is simple, to help you immerse in sleepy bedtime stories that bring you peace and relaxation so you can drift off. So why not give Drift Off a try? You can subscribe either on Apple Podcasts by tapping on the offer to subscribe displayed on the Drift Off show page, or by using the link in the show notes, driftoff.supercast.com. A free way you can support Drift Off is by leaving a five-star rating and review either on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or whichever app you choose to listen. Reviews help other listeners find Drift Off too. My friend, thank you for joining me today on Drift Off. So lay back and relax, and let's get ready to go on this sleepy journey together. Tonight I will be reading several chapters from the book, Little House on the Prairie. This story is about a little girl named Laura Ingalls and her family who leave behind their little house in the big woods of Wisconsin and are now heading to Kansas. The story captures the essence of pioneer life through the eyes of a young Laura. She provides vivid descriptions of the challenges and joys of frontier living with detailed accounts of hunting trips, encounters with Native Americans, and the hardships they face as early settlers. This book has captured the hearts of both young and old, making it a cherished classic. And so, as always, my friend, take a nice deep breath and let it out slowly. Feel all the tension in your body just melt away. You're all cozy and safe in your bed. So it's time to relax and let go now. Start by softening your forehead and smoothing out your brow 
Relax your eyes and unclench your jaw. Let your whole face be smooth and relaxed. Now imagine your shoulders dropping down and easing back and just let them go and feel the relaxation and heaviness flow down through your arms, down through your hands and all the way into your fingers. Let them be loose and limp. Feel your chest and belly become soft. Let your back melt down into your bed. And allow that relaxation to flow down into your hips, into your legs, into your feet and all the way down into your toes. Every muscle in your legs feel heavy, loose, and limp. And as our story begins, your body and mind will keep on relaxing Just listen to my words and allow your imagination to take you away and everything will begin to slow down. Even your breathing and thoughts will slow down as you listen. It's all preparing you for a peaceful sleep. My friend, there's nothing else you need to do right now and nowhere else you need to be. So just lay back, relax, and enjoy the story. Chapter 13, Texas Longhorns One evening, Laura and Pa were sitting on the doorstep. The moon shone over the dark prairie. The winds were still, and softly Pa played his fiddle. He let a last note quiver far, far away until it dissolved in the moonlight. Everything was so beautiful that Laura wanted it to stay so forever. But Pa said it was time for little girls to go to bed. Then Laura heard a strange, low, distant sound. What's that? she said. Pa listened. Cattle, by George, he said. Must be the cattle herds going north to Fort Dodge. After she was undressed, Laura stood in her nightgown at the window. The air was very still. Not a grass blade rustled. 
and far away and faint, she could hear that sound. It was almost a rumble and almost a song. Is that singing, Pa? she asked. Yes, Pa said. The cowboys are singing the cattle to sleep. Now hop into bed, you little scalawag. Laura thought of cattle lying on the dark ground in the moonlight and of cowboys softly singing lullabies. Next morning, when she ran out of the house, two strange men were sitting on horses by the stable. They were talking to Pa. They were as red-brown as Indians, but their eyes were narrow slits between squinting eyelids. They wore flaps of leather over their legs and spurs and wide-brimmed hats. Handkerchiefs were knotted around their necks and pistols were on their hips. They said so long to Pa and hi yip to their horses and they galloped away. Here's a piece of luck, Pa said to Ma. Those men were cowboys. They wanted Pa to help them keep the cattle out of the ravines among the bluffs of the creek bottoms. Pa would not charge them any money, but he told them he would take a piece of beef. How would you like a good piece of beef, Pa asked. Oh, Charles, said Ma, and her eyes shone. Pa tied his biggest handkerchief round his neck. He showed Laura how he could pull it up over his mouth and nose to keep the dust out. Then he rode Patty west along the Indian trail, till Laura and Mary couldn't see him anymore. All day the hot sun blazed, and the hot winds blew, and the sound of the cattle herds came nearer. It was a faint, mournful sound of cattle lowing. At noon, dust was blowing along the horizon. Ma said that so many cattle trampled the grasses flat and stirred up dust from the prairie. Pa came riding home at sunset, covered with dust. There was dust in his beard and in his hair and on the rims of his eyelids, and dust fell off his clothes. He did not bring any beef, because the cattle were not across the creek yet. The cattle went very slowly, eating grass as they went. They had to eat enough grass to be fat when they came to the cities where people ate them. Pa did not talk much that night, and he didn't play the fiddle. He went to bed soon after supper. The herds were so near now that Laura could hear them plainly. The mournful lowing sounded over the prairie till the night was dark. Then the cattle were quieter, and the cowboys began to sing. Their songs were not like lullabies. They were high, lonely, wailing songs, almost like the howling of wolves. Laura lay awake, listening to the lonely songs wandering in the night. Farther away, real wolves howled. Sometimes the cattle lowed. But the cowboy's song went on, rising and falling and wailing away under the moon. When everyone else was asleep, Laura stole softly to the window, and she saw three fires gleaming like red eyes from the dark edge of the land. Overhead, 
The sky was big and still and full of moonlight. The lonely song seemed to be crying for the moon. They made Laura's throat ache. All next day, Laura and Mary watched the west. They could hear the faraway bawling of the cattle. They could see dust blowing. Sometimes they thinly heard a shrill yell. Suddenly, a dozen long-horned cattle burst out of the prairie not far from the stable. They had come up out of a draw going down to the creek bottoms. Their tails stood up, and their fierce horns tossed, and their feet pounded the ground. A cowboy on a spotted mustang galloped madly to get in front of them. He waved his big hat and yelled sharp high yells. The cattle wheeled, clashing their long horns together. With lifted tails, they galloped lumbering away, and behind them, the Mustang ran and whirled and ran, herding them together. They all went over a rise of ground and down out of sight. Laura ran back and forth, waving her sunbonnet and yelling, till Ma told her to stop. It was not ladylike to yell like that. Laura wished she could be a cowboy. Late that afternoon, three riders came out of the west, driving one lone cow. One of the riders was Pa, on Patty. Slowly they came near, and Laura saw that with the cow was a little spotted calf. The cow came lunging and plunging. Two cowboys rode well apart in front of her. Two ropes around her long horns were fastened to the cowboy's saddles. When the cow lunged with her horns toward either cowboy, the other cowboy's pony braced its feet and held her. The cow bawled, and the little calf bleated thinner balls. Ma watched from the window, while Mary and Laura stood against the house and stared. The cowboys held the cow with their ropes, while Pa tied her to the stable. Then they said goodbye to him and rode away. Ma could not believe that Pa had actually brought home a cow, but it really was their own cow. The calf was too small to travel, Pa said, and the cow would be too thin to sell, so the cowboys had given them to Pa. They had given him the beef, too. A big chunk was tied to his saddle horn. Pa and Ma and Mary and Laura and even baby Carrie laughed for joy. Pa always laughed out loud and his laugh was like great bells ringing. When Ma was pleased, she smiled a gentle smile that made Laura feel warm all over. But now she was laughing because they had a cow. Give me a bucket, Caroline, said Pa. He was going to milk the cow right away. He took the bucket, he pushed back his hat, and he squatted by the cow to milk her. And that cow hunched herself and kicked Pa flat on his back. Pa jumped. His face was blazing red and his eyes snapped blue sparks. Now, by the great horn spoon, I'll milk her, he said. He got his axe 
and he sharpened two stout slabs of oak. He pushed the cow against the stable, and he drove those slabs deep into the ground beside her. The cow bawled, and the little calf squalled. Pa tied poles firmly to the posts and stuck their ends into the cracks of the stable to make a fence. Now, the cow could not move forward or backward or sidewise, but the little calf could nudge its way between its mother and the stable, so the baby calf felt safe and stopped bawling. It stood on that side of the cow and drank its supper, and Pa put his hand through the fence and milked from the other side. He got a tin cup almost full of milk. We'll try again in the morning, he said. The poor thing's as wild as a deer, but we'll gentle her. The dark was coming on. Nighthawks were chasing insects in the dark air. Bullfrogs were croaking in the creek bottoms. A bird called, whip, whip, whip. Hoo, hoo, said an owl. Far away the wolves howled, and Jack was growling. The wolves are following the herds, Pa said. Tomorrow I'll build a strong high yard for the cow that wolves can't get into. So they all went into the house with the beef. Pa and Ma and Mary and Laura all agreed to give the milk to baby Carrie. They watched her drink it. The tin cup hid her face, but Laura could see the gulps of milk going down her throat. Gulp by gulp, she swallowed all that good milk. Then she licked the foam from her lip with her red tongue and laughed. It seemed a long time before the cornbread and the sizzling beefsteaks were done, but nothing had ever tasted so good as that tough, juicy beef, and everyone was happy because now there would be milk to drink and perhaps even butter for the cornbread. The lowing of the cattle herds was far away again, and the songs of the cowboys were almost too faint to be heard. All those cattle were on the other side of the creek bottoms now in Kansas. Tomorrow they would slowly go farther on their long way northward to the Fort Dodge where the soldiers were. Chapter 14 Indian Camp Day after day was hotter than the day before. The wind was hot, as if it came out of an oven, Ma said. The grass was turning yellow. The whole world was rippling green and gold under the blazing sky. At noon, the wind died. No birds sang. Everything was so still that Laura could hear the squirrels chattering in the trees down by the creek. Suddenly, black crows flew overhead, cawing their rough, sharp caws. Then everything was still again. Ma said that this was midsummer. Pa wondered where the Indians had gone. He said they had left their little camp on the prairie. And one day, he asked Laura and Mary if they would like to see that camp. Laura jumped up and down and clapped her hands, but Ma objected. It is so far, Charles, she said, 
and in this heat. Pa's blue eyes twinkled. This heat doesn't hurt the Indians, and it won't hurt us, he said. Come on, girls. Please, can Jack come too? Laura begged. Pa had taken his gun, but he looked at Laura, and he looked at Jack. Then he looked at Ma, and he put the gun up on its pegs again. All right, Laura, he said. I'll take Jack, Caroline, and leave you the gun. Jack jumped around them, wagging his stump of a tail. As soon as he saw which way they were going, he set off, trotting ahead. Pa came next, and behind him came Mary, and then Laura. Mary kept her sunbonnet on, but Laura let hers dangle down her back. The ground was hot under their bare feet. The sunshine pierced through their faded dresses and tingled on their arms and backs. The air was really as hot as the air in an oven, and it smelled faintly like baking bread. Pa said the smell came from all the grass seeds parching in the heat. They went farther and farther into the vast prairie. Laura felt smaller and smaller. Even Pa did not seem as big as he really was. At last, they went down into the little hollow where the Indians had camped. Jack started up a big rabbit. When it bounded out of the grass, Laura jumped. Pa said, let him go, Jack. We have meat enough. So Jack sat down and watched the big rabbit go bounding away down the hollow. Laura and Mary looked around them. They stayed close to Pa. Low bushes grew on the sides of the hollow. Buck brush with sprays of berries faintly pink and sumac holding up green cones but showing here and there a bright red leaf. The golden rod's blooms were turning gray and the ox-eyed daisy's yellow petals hung down from the crown centers. All this was hidden in the secret little hollow. From the house, Laura had seen nothing but grasses, and now from this hollow, she could not see the house. The prairie seemed to be level, but it was not level. Laura asked Pa if there were lots of hollows in the prairie like this one, he said there were. Are Indians in them? She almost whispered. He said he didn't know. There might be. She held tight to his hand, and Mary held to his other hand, and they looked at the Indians' camp. There were ashes where Indian campfires had been. There were holes in the ground where tent poles had been driven. Bones were scattered where Indian dogs had gnawed them. All along the sides of the hollow, Indian ponies had bitten the grasses short. Tracks of big moccasins and smaller moccasins were everywhere, and tracks of little bare toes. And over these tracks were tracks of rabbits and tracks of birds and wolves' tracks. Pa read the tracks for Mary and Laura. He showed them tracks of two middle-sized moccasins by the edge of a campfire ashes. An Indian woman had squatted there. She wore a leather skirt with fringes. 
The tiny marks of the fringe were in the dust. The track of her toes inside the moccasins was deeper than the track of her heels because she had leaned forward to stir something cooking in a pot on the fire. Then Pa picked up a smoke-blackened forked stick, and he said that the pot had hung from a stick laid across the top of two upright forked sticks. He showed Mary and Laura the holes where the forked sticks had been driven into the ground. Then he told them to look at the bones around the campfire and tell him what had cooked in that pot. They looked and they said, Rabbit. That was right. The bones were rabbit bones. Suddenly, Laura shouted, Look! Look! Something bright blue glittered in the dust. She picked it up, and it was a beautiful blue bead. Laura shouted with joy. Then Mary saw a red bead, and Laura saw a green one, and they forgot everything but beads. Pa helped them look. They found white beads and brown beads, and more and more red and blue beads. All that afternoon, they hunted for beads in the dust of the Indian camp. Now and then, Pa walked up the edge of the hollow and looked toward home. Then he came back and helped to hunt for more beads. They looked all the ground over carefully. When they couldn't find any more, it was almost sunset. Laura had a handful of beads, and so did Mary. Pa tied them carefully in his handkerchief, Laura's beads in one corner and Mary's in another corner. He put the handkerchief in his pocket, and they started home. The sun was low behind their backs when they came out of the hollow. Home was small and very far away, and Pa did not have his gun. Pa walked so swiftly that Laura could hardly keep up. She trotted as fast as she could, but the sun sank faster. Home seemed farther and farther away. The prairie seemed larger, and a wind ran over it, whispering something frightening. All the grasses shook as if they were scared. Then Pa turned around, and his blue eyes twinkled at Laura. He said, Getting tired, little half-pint? It's a long way for little legs. He picked her up, big girl that she was, and he settled her safe against his shoulder. He took Mary by the hand, and so they all came home together. Supper was cooking on the fire. Ma was setting the table, and baby Carrie played with little pieces of wood on the floor. Pa tossed the handkerchief to Ma. I'm later than I meant, Caroline, he said. But look what the girls found. He took the milk bucket and went quickly to bring Pet and Patty from the picket lines and to milk the cow. Ma untied the handkerchief and exclaimed at what she found. The beads were even prettier than they had been in the Indian camp. Laura stirred the beads with her finger and watched them sparkle and shine. These are mine, she said. Then Mary said, Carrie can have mine. 
Ma waited to hear what Laura would say. Laura didn't want to say anything. She wanted to keep those pretty beads. Her chest felt all hot inside, and she wished with all her might that Mary wouldn't always be such a good little girl. But she couldn't let Mary be better than she was. So she said slowly, Carrie can have mine too. That's my unselfish good little girl, said Ma. She poured Mary's beads into Mary's hands and Laura's into Laura's hands, and she said she would give them a thread to string them on. The beads would make a pretty necklace for Carrie to wear around her neck. Ma and Laura sat side by side on their bed, and they strung those pretty beads on the thread that Ma gave them. Each wet her end of the thread in her mouth and twisted it tightly. Then Mary put her end of the thread through the small hole in each of the beads, and Laura put her end through her beads one by one. They didn't say anything. Perhaps Mary felt sweet and good inside, but Laura didn't. When she looked at Mary, she wanted to slap her, so she dared not look at Mary again. The beads made a beautiful string. Carrie clapped her hands and laughed when she saw it. Then Ma tied it around Carrie's little neck and it glittered there. Laura felt a little better. After all, her beads were not enough beads to make a whole string, and neither were Mary's. But together, they made a whole string of beads for Carrie. When Carrie felt the beads on her neck, she grabbed at them. She was so little that she did not know any better than to break the string. So Ma untied it, and she put the beads away until Carrie should be old enough to wear them. And often after that, Laura thought of those pretty beads, and she was still naughty enough to want her beads for herself. But it had been a wonderful day. She could always think about that long walk across the prairie and about all they had seen in the Indian camp. Sweet dreams, my friend. Sleep well.